This episode of Punk Rock HR is sponsored by The Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is the B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. For more information, head on over to thestarconspiracy.com. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Brudeman. Welcome back to Punk Rock HR. My guest today is Sean Flynn at Instride. Instride partners with businesses to create life-changing workforce education programs through a leading academic network. Back in the day, we called it tuition reimbursement. Now, we really think about ensuring that talented workers in your organization have an opportunity to learn, grow, develop, and stay. And that's what this conversation is all about. We also talk about Sean's unique background. He's a West Point graduate. He served his country, worked at IBM, serving his country in a different way, and then went on to an entrepreneurial journey with Instride. So we talk about what he learned and how he grew throughout his career. It's a fun conversation. Very rarely do I get to talk to someone who identifies as a Guatemalan Irishman. So if you're into that, and I certainly am, sit back and enjoy this conversation with Sean Flynn on this week's Punk Rock HR. Hey, Sean, welcome to the podcast. Good afternoon, Lori. Well, I'm pleased you're here. You know, before we talk about all things learning and growing and, you know, developing in this world, why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you're all about? So my name is Sean Flynn. I'm the Chief Customer Officer for Instride. I oftentimes start by saying I'm a Guatemalan Irishman. It's not a lot of us running around. It's kind of me and my <laughs> brother and uh, are, are the two. I went to West Point. I was an armor officer. I was a tank commander. I got into surgical sales and then to IBM. So I followed the logical career path, right, from a tank to the OR to IBM. I did that for 15 years and then decided that I wanted to be a part of something bigger than myself, kind of like the way I felt when I was in the Army. And so I kind of charted a course towards mission-driven businesses, and that's what brought me to Instride with the idea of bringing life-changing education to the workforce. Awesome. Well, I want to talk about who your organization is and what you do in the world, but your story is so compelling to me. I mean, besides being a Guatemalan Irishman, like, you know, there's probably like six of you running around. You know, there's a few more. I am interested in that career from the military to corporate America because, you know, many people think that transition just makes sense and is so easy, and yet the unemployment rate for people who have served our country is so high. So what what got you into corporate America? And do you ever think about the barriers for other veterans and people who have served? It's a fantastic question. I was fortunate in that I had a very good friend of mine that I worked with in the military who got into IBM ahead of me. And he vouched for me. And that was ultimately my ticket. At the time, I was doing surgical sales in Arizona, and I was interviewing, and I distinctly remember sitting in the interview, and you can imagine this is a software sales job, and it's high expectations, and the interviewing manager says, were you like a computer scientist? What do you have background do you have in IT? And I was like, nope, I was a history major. Like, have you sold software before? You know, what you, you commanded tanks. And so he finally said, well, what makes you th think that you'll be able to sell software? And I said, if I can sit in a neurosurgeon's OR in a case, with the patient on the table and the cranium open, everybody's draped. He's got his peers around him. He's got his staff around him. And all I have is a laser pointer and convince him to use my product. I can sell software. Yeah, heck yeah, you can. I convinced him to, to <laughs> let me in the door. Um, 
But I think closer to the point of your question, it's a bit of a black box for most hiring managers when somebody's coming out of the military. They kind of see everybody as the same. Oh, you're in the military. And of course, it's an organization with hundreds of thousands of people in different roles. So I think you kind of want to get into what did you do and tell me a little bit about how you performed in those roles. And you'll find, you know, there's a world of things that open up to you in that respect. The other thing from somebody who's exiting the military standpoint, I think there's a bit of you go from an environment where everybody is of like mind and has a single mission to, hey, things aren't really clearly defined. And how do you navigate that? And I had a mentor early in my career, in fact, the same person who vouched for me to get in. And he said at one point in my early career, he said, if it makes business sense, do it. And so at one statement, it was be proactive and do things that will help drive the business. And it just kind of lifted the weight off of my back. It's like, I got it, right? Sometimes you're waiting, people feel coming out of the military, waiting for instruction, or you don't know how to navigate. It's like, if it makes business sense, do it. Yeah. And you were given, I think, given permission to take some risks in that interesting way. I love that. You know, you have had this interesting journey from a very corporate environment. And some would say IBM is like a civilian military, right? With all of its people and its processes. And you've gone to some entrepreneurial organizations and now you're at Instride doing really cool things. So before we talk about Instride, I promise I want to get there. But that journey to, as you described it, being part of a mission again, being part of something, what was that like? Because at IBM, man, you got all kinds of resources. And then you go into a small entrepreneurial organization and it's like, oh, where's the printer paper? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And you do have an unbelievable amount of resources. You can solve most problems by directing the organization's energy towards that problem. So that's a skill set in and of itself. The flip side of that is it can be very challenging to get things done in an organization with so many stakeholders. So it can be a little bit like jumping rope in a lawnmower at times because you got, I'm hitting this boundary and this boundary and this boundary, and you end up trying to just kind of bowl through to get to the other side at, at times. I was intrigued by the idea of your organization organization is limited by its imagination. It's limited by its leadership. It's where you're going. What if the possibilities open up? You're somewhat defined, right, in a hundred-year-old company that has an idea of how they're going to do things. So I wanted to kind of test myself. And I personally think there are people that have this, you know, this is okay, a military kind of saying, but it's run to the sound of the guns. Where's the action? Where is it happening? And you ever kind of view that as challenges that just kind of like drain your energy or you like that, you enjoy that. And I call it brain candy because it's, you know, how am I going to solve this problem? I don't know. We'll figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I also think about, you know, entrepreneurial organizations, when you solve a problem, it's almost like having a saber and sabering champagne. Like it's beautiful. It's fun. You could do it, right? It's like a knife through butter. It's not as complex as like an IBM or a Pfizer. I also think it's just more fun. <laughs> you know, so tell us a little bit about Instart. What's the culture like? What are you doing there? What are you trying to solve in the marketplace? Well, one of the things that is an absolute joy, if you get it right with an entrepreneurial organization, is working with like-minded people, with mission-driven people. And our founder, Vivek Sharma, has been intentional from the beginning about what kind of organization he wanted to build. At one point in time, it was him. He was it. He was the organization. And he sat down and he wrote the founder's memo. And we all read it during the interview process and as we're going through the onboarding. And there's some phrases in there that every single person in the organization 
organization knows and believes in. And it certainly stuck out to me in my interview process when I went through eight, nine stakeholders and they were all saying the same things. You're like, okay, here's a group that's aligned. But it was like tenacious grade A volunteers. What a great description of what he was looking for, the kind of people, the, the no job too small mentality. And what we have found is that if you really believe in what Instride can do, if you really believe in the power of what education can do to change lives, then you're a great fit. You're going to be genuine in front of the customer. This is a mission you get behind. You're going to be willing to solve any challenge that you need to because you know the value that it brings. And so I actually, to kind of bring it full circle, I was talking to a former mentee of mine who's a very senior executive at IBM and was thinking about leaving. And I was telling him about the value of mission-driven organizations. And he says, oh yeah, you know, everybody says that. And I said, that's why you have to leave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to be cynical about that. You're like, it's time to go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about Instride, who you are in the marketplace and what problems you're trying to solve. So Instride is a public benefit company. We're part of the TPG Rise portfolio, which is their social impact fund. Our mission is to bring life-changing education to the workforce. And the best way to explain it is our origin story, which is the Starbucks ASCAP program. It's the Starbucks College Achievement Program. And it was started in 2014 by Howard Schultz. And at the time, they were having a number of challenges with like performance in the stores, and he was in retention, classic challenges for retailers. And Howard decided in partnership with ASU to offer full college tuition to any employee, any store employee, whether or not they're full-time, part-time, as long as they were benefits eligible, he was going to offer them a college education. And really set off a huge sea change in the world of retail. I mean, people and organizations have copied that move since 2014 and really made it their own, right? But he was the first. He was the first to say, this population of workers deserves this. You know, as we like to say, if we do this right, it'll be medical, dental, vision, education that is out there and it's available for everybody. How powerful would that be for the entire U.S. workforce? It helps schools, it helps learners, it helps with skills that employers need. It's a win-win-win all the way around. But Starbucks over time has proven that out. And that's not just a short-term thing. It is, and for the last eight years, they have 92% retention of the folks that are in the program. They have 3x promotion rates for people that graduate. They become the leaders at Starbucks, store managers or district managers. And they've been able to, over 20% of the people who apply, say they are doing it because they want to be part of the SCAP program. So it's kind of like, how do you become a talent destination? You bring the right people in and you help them find their dreams. That's a win-win for both sides. So in scaling this, right? I mean, it's one thing to do it at Starbucks, but it's another thing to do it across the country and globally. Where does Instride come in? So that's why we were created. It was how can we do this at scale? How can we work with companies of all sizes and all industries to deliver for their respective workforce? And we have built a network of high quality academic institutions that know how to work with adult learners, how to help them get credit for prior learning or get back into their academic journey. But where do I start? What do I apply for? Can I transfer in my credits? I mean, just all these fundamental questions about how to work in the academic environment. We aligned those programs in a way that becomes a career path. We like to say, turn jobs into careers. You know, here's where you are in your journey and here's how we're going to help you get to the other side. So simple example, when the program was first rolled out at Uber, similar to Starbucks, all drivers that reach a certain threshold of ratings, and rides, they get a full college tuition and 
they can offer it to a dependent. And you think about that, it's how powerful is that be able to offer to a spouse or a child? And if you're Uber, you're thinking, well, these are my top riders. And they're dealing with things like rider safety and contractor relations, poaching by uh, competitors. They were taking away their top drivers. So you want to keep those folks in place. You offer it to a dependent, they're staying in place. This is something they believe in. By the way, you want to have a fun conversation, look on your Uber driver's profile. And if they have a gold or diamond, it'll say on their profile, they're eligible for the college tuition. These are some of the best stories that you'll ever get from a driver. But my point in the story is if you do it the right way, they know it's supported by the company. When it was first introduced at Uber, the drivers didn't believe it. it was too good to be true. And leadership had to get involved and explain it and show it like, no, really, this is real. And this is aligned. And this is our strategy as a company. And if you bring that together, it's a business and talent strategy together. So we've kind of learned how to get with the right schools and the right career path and the right support. You're going to get more people in and you're going to have more people succeed. Well, you've given some great examples from both Starbucks and Uber. But to your point, every organization is going to be different and every program adoption is going to be different. You know, the Uber worker base are contractors, right? But maybe a manufacturing company is full of full-time workers, but they work multiple shifts, right? So when you're working with new clients, what's your approach to make sure that the program is designed right for them and that the adoption rate will be worth all that effort? So the education program needs to be aligned with the business strategy. If it's not aligned, it becomes a benefit and an afterthought, and it becomes kind of something they don't want a lot of people to take advantage of because then it's an expense. So it's like, oh, that's expensive. I don't really want people to take advantage of that. And I've sat in rooms and I've seen the conversation and a real world conversation with a CEO and a CFO. And fortunately, the CEO had a vision of what he wanted to do. And the CFO was playing the role that you would expect kind of, you know, hey, is this something we really want to do? Where are we going to find the money to do it? And the CEO said something on the lines of we can find it. And then the CFO said, what if we pay for their education? and they leave. And the CEO said, what if they don't get their education and stay? And it was just changing the lens about what you're trying to do with it. It's like, it should be a fundamentally good thing to get people in. And by the way, I define education as things that you will put on your CV. It's not just undergrad degrees. Like people are at different points in the journey. It could be high school, it could be associate degrees, it could be undergrad. It could be continuous learning where people are coming back and getting boot camp training for Python programming, or it could be a trade skill, a certification. I mean, healthcare, you need specific certifications to be a medical assistant, to be a certified surgical tech. If you get somebody into that role, you can get them into a nursing pathway. So you can get them in, you can fill the role, and then you show them a career path. Well, that seems to be a real fresh take on this, because a lot of times when we think about education in the workplace, we're specifically focused, like hyper-focused on the bachelor's degree. Like it is just the thing that organizations tend to just like frame up. When you're right, this could be so much broader, so much more interesting, or could just level set someone and give them their high school diploma, their GED, right? So I think that's a fresh take on this conversation. What else is fresh about this? Because when we talk about education, so much of this is rooted in like a 1990s, uh, we'll get you your degree, but you got to stick around for three years and that's it, right? So what else is interesting in this conversation? Well, one of the fundamental things that seems obvious, and I don't know if I would define it as innovation, but it's definitely game-changing, especially if you're a learner, is a direct bill model. And what that means is most programs are reimbursed
reimbursement-based programs. So the student has to go out of pocket. The employee has to go out of pocket. You can think of all the reasons why an adult learner doesn't want to go back to school, right? Just put yourself in the shoes of any adult learner, right? That's a big commitment to go and do that for a certificate or a degree. Now they have to go out of pocket and that's just going to be a challenge, even with a reimbursement. So one of the things that we try to do is make sure that the program is set up with a direct bill model where the student never has to worry about going out of pocket. Their tuition is covered for things like their books can be covered. And that is the single biggest indicator of both participation and completion in that. If you match that with the other things we were describing, like the right schools and the right kind of support and leadership saying, no, this is actually a strategy for us. Now you're creating an environment where people are more likely to succeed and stay with your company and be advocates. And we've learned along the way, there are things that you can do if you're able to report back to the company, like KPIs, insights on here's where your population is. Here's the programs they're taking. Here's the classes they're taking. Then there's moments that matter along those journey. Like I was the benefit of a tuition assistance program, but I guarantee you the day I graduated, my manager didn't know. What an opportunity to show that you're invested in an employee because those are questions you ask yourself about where you're going. Heck yeah. I mean, these moments of recognition and appreciation and saying thank you to an adult learner for the sacrifice that they've made over an extended period of time that sure benefits them, but also benefits the organization. Yeah, that's really interesting. I would imagine that all kinds of data comes out from the programs that you know you organize and that you're involved in. So one of the things that I've been kind of hyper-focused on in this conversation is your use of the language adult learner. What makes an adult learner an adult learner? What does the data say about that? Because yeah, it's probably someone who's not your traditional college student, but what else makes them unique? So I've been using adult learner because we focus on working with employers to provide education for employees. And so it's a bit of a broad brush, but employees tend to be 18 and above. They tend yeah, to be yeah, adult yeah. learners. But I also don't think of them as frat boys, right? I mean, there's a differentiation in my mind between like kids who are 18 to 23 in college and then an adult learner is someone I think of as employed first, maybe. Yeah. And in many cases, you used to have to go to school to become pro and you could go pro and then go to school with this model. You can hire people into an organization and train them for the roles. So like the healthcare example I was giving you, so many healthcare systems are under duress right now to fill roles. You can just imagine the stress that the front line has felt during the pandemic. And these are hard to fill. If somebody isn't certified to be a certified surgical tech and sit in the operating room, you can't just hire them off the street if they don't have the certification. What you could do though is find the right talent and train them and then show them here's step one of your career and here's how it continues to grow with us come here and we're going to show you a future. That's a different model that speaks to a job turning into a career, which is going to be important to somebody that maybe isn't in the pure academic environment, but is out in the workforce. Well, you talked about your Irish Guatemalan roots, and it reminds me more of old apprenticeship programs right? You know, where we actually used to pay people to learn on the job. And while they were learning, they were working, but they were becoming skilled at roofing or plumbing or being an electrician, right? It's not the internship model, it's the apprentice model. And I love that this program can actually be structured to do that, to give people literal on the job training while they're actually either earning a living or earning a stipend, whatever it is. I mean, that's an amazing advancement. So we start to kind of wrap up the conversation. What has surprised you about this industry? and about the education process in general, like any surprises along the way in your journey? 
that the academic institutions are experiencing many of the same disruptions that the workplace is in terms of the physical place maybe mattering less in terms of the ways of doing business over the last 900 years of a lecture-based model they're being asked to change too and they are highly motivated to figure out how best to work with employers just think about the idea of like are the skills from my degree still relevant 10 years later 15 years later with the rate and pace of technology there's a need for continuing education over a lifetime and with that kind of disruption they're very open to things like stackable credentials which means bite-sized education that leads to a degree just as an example or delivering quality online education you know, meaningful education online where you can get things like a better accredited double e degree online and that it's being done affordably because people tend to think of most education options as oh my god it's hundreds of thousands of dollars is that worth investing in Be because it is yeah it is but most of the programs we work with on an annual basis are in that more four to five K range per year and can be done that way. So there's a win-win here that certainly works for the employee and the employer, but that the academic institutions are in it every bit. They have the same kinds of motivations and want to make this succeed as well. You know, I'm surprised to hear you say that because I'm here in the research triangle, right? With NC State and Duke and UNC and a million other amazing universities, Shaw and Peace and great schools down here. And what I have found is that the administration is really down with the changing nature of work. But professors are like, I'm not here to educate the next project manager. I'm here to educate the next human. And there seems to be something happening at the professor level almost where there's the disconnect, right? And these are the people who are the boots on the ground. We need them to be more connected. We need them to be, you know, energized and advocating for the student learner who's going to be out in the workforce one day. And yet they're like, eh, no, we're still going to teach, uh, you know, I don't know, War and Peace and all these really great books that are important, but don't necessarily lead to anything beyond interesting humanity stories, right? So anyway, I'm getting to a broader point, which is, do you see a disconnect at the professorial level, or is that just me being Lori? <laughs> I mean, such a broad landscape, you're going to find any number of opinions and people. I mean, every industry fears change. But what I would say is fundamentally different in that they want, and especially the schools that we work with, they want to deliver quality online education. They need to. And when it becomes a survival imperative, that changes your perspective pretty quickly on what you need to do. And the schools we work with deliver the same degree with the same professors that you would get in an on-campus environment. That We think that's very important in terms of delivering quality online education. So... It is just a lot of things coming together that fit for what the rate and pace of business, what adult learners need, and ultimately what schools need to. Yeah, I think you could still teach Chaucer and develop a wonderful electrical engineer. <laughs> I think the two are not incompatible, right? So that's my perspective on this. But I'm so grateful to have had an opportunity to talk about the nuts and bolts of education and the cool things that Instride is doing. So if people want to learn more about you or your organization, where do they go? The best place would be instride.com where they can learn all about the company and our offerings and some of our corporate partners. But certainly feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's uh, sean.t.flynn94. You can find me on there and I'd love to connect with you. We're going to put all of that in the show notes. I'm so glad you're willing to connect with people. I really encourage everybody to reach out, learn a little bit more about Instride. And it was a real pleasure to connect with you today. Thanks for being a guest. Same here. And thank you for the work you do. Hey everybody, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Punk Rock HR. We are proudly underwritten by the Star Conspiracy. 
The Star Conspiracy is the B2B marketing agency for innovative brands, creating the future of workplace solutions. For more information, head on over to thestarconspiracy.com. Punk Rock HR is produced and edited by RepCap with special help from Michael Thibodeau and Devin McGrath. For more information, show notes, links, and resources, head on over to punkrockhr.com. Now that's all for today, and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR. Punk Rock HR.